am Laura, a parent of launching young adults and a sociologist and a parenting communication coach. And hi, I'm Beth Rolls, a parent of littles and a conscious marriage coach. Hi, I'm Yukti Rao, parent of two teens with a joyfully imperfect life. Welcome to our Be Friends show, where we demonstrate through our friendships, the art and science of authentic relations. Congrats, Yuti, on your launch. Thanks a lot, Laura. I am very <laughs> excited. It was, it was joyfully imperfect, the launch. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. As it should be. You can't I had a, be I had a great time recording the podcast. It was really joyful. Like I was on a high after that and oh. before that, that day because it was so effortless and it was so fun and so joyful to do that and to share what I had to share with everyone. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't perfect. There was an ums and ahs and some contemplation and some thinking in between. And I was like, it's perfect just the way it is. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's really great. Well, and I'm excited I'm to record my second one today. After, ooh, ooh. After, after us, I was just I was just sharing with Beth that I'm going to be talking about our menstrual cycle and productivity and life around that. Oh wow, powerful! Yeah, yeah oh. I think the pain of your period is just so. I always tell my clients like it's just period of no BS because your body's like, uh-uh, I've had enough. I'm not going to take anybody violating your yep. boundaries. Like <laughs> we're going to make you snippy it and bitchy. Totally and is. You're going to take care of yourself, you know? It, it totally is. Like for me, it's like any emotions that any feelings that I've been suppressing and dumbing down or anything just comes up and gets cleared out. And then and from that space now with the clear space, it's so much easier to create something new. And mm. I mean, this time, especially it was like, I think after the retreat, I've been going through so much emotional stuff and nervous system re-regulation and all that stuff yeah. that this time it really took me down deep, like feeling really sad, really hopeless and stuff. And then it brought me up into this space of like, oh, why does life have to be so challenging? It gets to be more effortless and like at more at ease, like my whole body is relaxed and my mind is quiet. And just like in that space of just creating without effort. And I mean, we all want that, right? That place of flow. And so that's, kind of where I am today. So I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Yeah. That space of flow, no no pun intended, right? <laughs> Since we I talk- remember, I don't have periods anymore, but I remember <laughs> yeah. it connected me to the earth more because I was always in touch with the moon cycles and uh, just really much more grounded in a way, you know? Mm. And that that became a gift. So I was going to say, since we talked last, I got to meet Laura in person and hang out with you on the trail. And it was so fun. And I miss you. And my family loved you and everything. And you gave me this cool book about Cherokee women. And we read it on the way back up to Ohio. Not all of it, but part of it. And I don't know if you've read it yet. Probably you have. 
I've read parts of it. Okay. So they said, I didn't know this, but they said that when Cherokee women were having their period, they went away to a different building and like people took care of them, but they wouldn't get close to them. They'd like, (laughs) I I feel like I remember they said like, they just put food at the door and run away. But they said that to them, blood was really powerful. And they considered those women to be super powerful at that time, capable of creating anything. And so that's why it wasn't like, it wasn't like a shameful thing. It was like, we got to protect ourselves from you because you're scary right now. Kind of powerful thing. I thought that was really fascinating. I don't know if you know any more about that, but I was like, hmm. Yes, it relates to the origin story. The first couple, the Adam and Eve of, and I can't pronounce the names, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but the female is, I want to say she, Sheila, something like that, or say, oh, anyway, I'm going to butcher it. But, but she, um, she went away inside of a different location where vegetables were stored and she would literally from the, the origin story is she produced corn and beans from that experience of pulling away from the family. And so she was a vessel, if you will, of mother earth and the gardening and the tending and all of the sustenance of the family came from that pulling away for solitude and, and to be respectful of the power. Yeah. And yeah. That's so neat. It's not all romantic though. Her sons wind up killing her. <laughs> I, know, I read that part. So, I was like, dang. But she knew it was coming. And she's like, well, at least if you're going to kill me, do this. Yeah, do this. <laughs> and then they did. And she's like, oh, geez. She instructed her. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very fascinating. I'm really enjoying reading about it. I was like, that's so nice. I wish people would send me off to rest. <laughs> When I'm having my period, so you go take care of you. It's like you go on retreat every month, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Actually, yeah, you are absolutely right. It's like you go on retreat every month because that clears the space for you to create anew in yeah. some ways, right? That's what yeah. your womb is literally doing. It's clearing the space to create anew. And that's what we are doing physically and emotionally and and energetically at that at this time what you and then you reach i'm sorry go ahead go ahead i was just saying that what you shared beth about what's written in that book um firstly i'm so glad you guys got to meet other i'm so jealous (laughs) (laughs) i wish you could have been there i wish i was there but secondly we did that in the indian culture i think in the past they would do that like the women would get to that would be a space for them to rest and recuperate and of course they didn't have sanitary pads then right in those times so there was other ways to stay clean and all that stuff but unfortunately in the modern society Indian society it has become something that's not discussed something that's considered shameful women in uh, rural places often who don't have like the ability to move around are often secluded Uh, Women, even in the modern society, don't go to temples or any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. And there was, the ancient reasoning was different, but now it's become like, oh, it's not clean and it's shameful. So -hmm. that's kind of sad that how it's been flipped. The reason for doing it was different, was actually more respect and allowing women to rest. And now it's become, it it has become more like, oh, it's shameful 
So it's almost like the now the newer generation is rebelling against it completely. Obviously, they don't want to make it shameful, but they also often just ignore it and just mm. march through life like we march through life like nothing is happening. We have to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that we're talking about it, but that came to mind and then, and something to as we walk through life, as we talk today. Do we really have to overcome? And what things? a metaphor, right? That's yeah. a metaphor for suffering because you can, yeah. the same fact happens. It's going to happen every month and you can see, choose to see it as suffering or you can choose to see it as this opportunity for retreat and solitude and regeneration, if you will. You know, when you reach my stage of life and there are no more periods, it's almost as if you're permanently on retreat if you're conscious of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's really cool. At least that's that's what I'm feeling like having launched my young adults in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, we get to talk a little bit about that in the workshop I'm having tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. So I'm, I'm excited about that. That it's, it's full circle, right? It's both self-care and, and sort of a, a climax, if you will, to be able to grow through launching a family and then have solitude for retreat time. And I kind of see the menstruation as the metaphor of that that can happen monthly. (laughs) Laura, what do you think about? Yeah, well, since I've talked to you guys, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what do you think about the idea of, you know, that period of suffering (laughs) being shameful? Because I think that what Yukti was saying, like, that's a big thing now. I feel like suffering has become shameful or was and we're changing that now like people who are grieving or upset or sad or feeling bad you know they go do it alone because it's not cool to not be okay but what do you think about it you know it's funny you brought that up you're so intuitive because I was actually thinking about what happened for me when we got to meet You know, I had just received the news of a family death that was, you know, really profound for me. And, um, and you asked me, do you, do you need to come? You know, you were willing to give me permission to stay away and not do the meeting. And I was like, oh, hell no, we worked for this, (laughs) you know, to be able to finally see each other face to face. But, but the shock part of the grief needed community around it for me you know I needed to feel safe after that shock Uh, it it was like a pause it helped to ground in that middle of that grief because I was it I just heard the day before he and I had just talked you know for the last time and six hours later he passed so his brother said he was actually he actually thought that he had waited for me in order to have because we tried to make that conversation happen for 10 hours he could not lift the phone and could it was he had to be assisted and he talked to the nurse into doing it for him so it was a real it was a real blow because I didn't know the full circumstances until that this past month and um and so it helped to have to have you know trusting loving connection after the shock of the news. And yet I I also needed solitude after that. You know, so it's it's almost as if it was the 
the embrace and community first and then and then to pull back and do the the work the cleansing part of it um, that required solitude so as with most spiritual truth it's not either or it's both and and there's you know paradox at least for me in it and you know i continue to move through that hmm. what have you learned as you've moved through it how's it changed anything for you well probably the the first truth is that suffering is both communal and solitary mm-hmm. um, and then how have I changed personally I was thinking about this on my hike I've really had to walk through the suffering it's been helpful to do the movement as I grieve and one of the things that has helped me I think is just the the real truth of how fleeting life is, how completely temporary it is. Yes. How fast it is. You know, we live as if we're going to live forever. And I know that sounds cliche, but oh my God, we live as if we're going to live forever. And uh, I just turned 60 years old this, this year. And, you know, if I want to do it, it's now. You know, we're, we're just not promised tomorrow. So if it's, if there is a heart's desire that is burning, it has to be now. And so I, I think I'm integrating, you know, what, what does that mean for my life? Is there any missing piece that I'm not living right now? Any part of my truth that I'm not expressing? Who do I want to surround myself with? You know, what drives me? What's, I have a sense of service in my purpose. Yes. And I have an avenue for that, but is that all, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it makes me go back and grief always does that. It makes you go back and ask those big questions again. And, you know, we'll see what the answers are. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. That's, I mean, my, that really touches my heart. I can literally feel. And I'm so glad Beth and I get to be here to hold this space for you as you share so intimately and so tenderly. You sound very grateful. I love the idea of thinking, is there anything else left to share? Anything else left to do? And and knowing mm-hmm. that tomorrow's not promised and you got to do it. Do it. Might as well do it today is kind of the way I look at it. Like, why not? Yeah, yeah I've, you know, my conscious journey came later in life, part through my recovery, and then, you know, later, just later, <laughs> in a, deconstructing my religion, reconstructing faith, all of those pieces coming together. And so in launching my young adults, which has been a really long and laborious process, because I do have a child with a disability who needs a lot of help, mm-hmm. um, doing that, there's been this amends part for the unconsciousness earlier. And I'm I'm so grateful to have done that over the last decade, you know, to really be present for my daughter's adolescence and and their launching as young adults and setting up their lives. And now there is this this sense of okay, my focus turns to community. I mean, that's what part of our our journey together is, right? Is women in community and women sharing consciously these spaces and and so the question 
is, all right, can I fully let go of these past iterations of myself to be able to embrace what is probably the last active 20 years of my life? And, and what, do I, what do I want that to look like? So it really is, it's almost as if his death was a marker for that reorganization. Oh, really? Wow. It's, As I see it today. It is interesting, right? So it's almost like you are, it's an ending. And not only are you grieving his passing, but you're in grief for, for what your life has been so far. Because this is really a new, you're starting a new. Right. Because it's it's almost as if the grief is stacked. And I, I hear, you know, therapist friends talk about that, that every grief you experience allows you to process other griefs in a fresh way. And it's almost as if you're climbing the helix of a, or, you know, the double helix of a staircase and you're looking down at the grief at a different place. And, and, and so, yeah, at the same time as his death with my father's death last year, my mother's pending death, you know, she's on palliative care and then launching my kids. So there's that empty nest thing that society tells us that we're supposed to grieve, but is also joyous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's a mixed bag of tricks. So it's really stacked, all of these meanings. I mean, you know, I can completely relate to what you're saying, because for me, my dad passed away almost two years ago. It'd be two years next week. And when he passed, I was in this place where I was just, I think, struggling to find myself in some ways. Like I had let go of so much, but I didn't know where it was leading or how the how I wanted to be or needed to be in the new phase of my life but having him pass away first felt like the ground shifting under me I think when you lose a parent especially it's like something foundational mm -hmm. shifts mm -hmm. for you so I think that foundation shifted and it's almost like I had to learn to be my own rescuer like my own person stop so that Finally, after like two years, I feel like I am, I'm actually living it versus learning how to do it. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I share that is because sometimes when we are in the process of learning, which feels like suffering, because it's not easy, it's a new way of being, right? So you're setting new paths, new habits in your life, new neural networks in your brain, new emotional systems in your body, you energetically are shifting, your spirit is shifting. All of you is actually going through a transition phase. So when you're in that place, you feel like you're suffering when in fact you're learning. You're learning to be someone new, be come from a new space. And that's what made me think of when you talked about what you've been going through actually for the past year because since your dad's passing it's been like that now with your kids leaving home while it's joyous it's still a new way of being mm -hmm. a new new a new way of being laura 
So, yeah. The suffering is the growth. That's, you know, that's the whole theme of my work is if you're in misery in your marriage and you have some growth work to do. I had just had a client and she was feeling bad about something and not taking care of herself basically. And she's was wondering why she puts everybody before herself. And we did all the exploration and she got to all this beautiful truth about how we're not loved for what we do, but just for who we are and we're already worthy. And, you know, that we don't have to be afraid that people are going to abandon us. It was so funny because she got to all this brilliant wisdom. So at the end I was like, okay, now just go love yourself. <laughs> like you think it does you know, be easy then once you get to that and you understand it in your head. And she was laughing. I was like, no, actually now you need to just, you learned it and you need to apply it to your life and like live it. And so every day I want you to ask yourself the question over and over again, what would I do if I love myself? And then do your best to do that thing. And every time you do it, you're going to build up more power and actually fully believe that you're loving, you love yourself and you're worthy of your care and you're worthy of being cared for. And it's just a application thing, but she had to get to this low suffering point to get to that lesson. You have to be curious and ready to explore it and understand what it means for you. And I think, so to me, it's like, yay, I'm suffering again. Let me figure out what, I, what I'm going to learn from this one. I can go in and, and explore it and understand how it's here for me. But I know years before this, it was like, oh my God, I'm suffering again. I feel so bad. It's everybody else's fault. What am I going to do? And it felt very hopeless. But once you have the tools to even question it a little bit, so much wisdom can come out of it, I think. And then those big shifts. Yeah. I think pain and suffering all, all, always is almost like a conduit to transmission it's like walking through fire you're burning away some of the stuff and it hurts a bit but what you what you're coming what comes out of it it's like right it what comes out of it is fresh and renewed and cleansed yeah what purification uh, is what all of the ancients and yeah. the the you know older gurus and pilgrims and and spiritual teachers have, have talked about is that suffering is purification that leaves the the gold behind if you will and i think the suffering part the low that you just talked about beth for me is is the death of the old self you know that's that's the painful part is the letting go of the old self because the new part's kind of juicy if but we're a little slower to embrace that and that's okay i think i think the Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief exist because if you do have to go through the stages. I've really watched myself go through the stages. No, well, um, it's very interesting. I have not. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, why do you think it is painful to let go of the old self? What do you think is painful about it? The simple answer is fear, right? What will I have if I let go of this old iteration? We're attached to the identity. I was attached to the identity with him. I was attached to the identity of my dad, attached to the identity of mother and experiencing the empty nest. And then when you let that fall away, what's left, you know, is, is um, hopefully pure humanity that connects us to everybody. And I've, I've had some tastes of that. 
I think it'd be good just if anybody is listening and doesn't understand what that means. Like when we talk about attachment to identity, that can be so many different things, like literal, literal roles that you play in your life, like wife or mom or whatever. But it can also be like the good girl, the perfect person, the good daughter, the perfectionist. I mean, there's so many, so many <laughs> attachments that we can have. They can be complete stuff we're completely unaware of for sure. Yeah, and often we don't, and I'd also like to consider, everybody to consider that there are parts of your identity you do not know are parts of your identity, right? Yeah. They actually drive you, they exist in what I call your blind spot. You can't, you're not, it, they're not completely visible to you. They're visible more as characteristics or behaviors or personality to you. For example, if somebody had told me that I'm a perfectionist, I would have said, no way, I, my house looks like a mess and I'm I'm never like somebody who has to have things in the right place, right time. But because perfectionism didn't show up that way for me, it showed up in trying to do the right, absolute right thing, make the right choice, make the right decision and then getting and then beating myself up if I didn't, if I made a mistake, right? So it just depends on how that shows up for you. So there we are we are putting some labels on certain things, but what it is, your identity is the characteristics and the personality that you show up with in your life. So it's, I mean, I'm just expanding on what Beth just said here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also important that to to not get stuck with the label. Yeah. You know, language can be so limiting and words like perfectionism, am I perfectionistic or not? It, we have a perception in our heads, a definition in our heads about what that is, but the meanings are stacked. You know, it can, it can mean different things at different stages of life. It can mean different things to different people, you know, yeah. bottom line is, am I okay without how I perceive myself or with how I perceive myself? And I think that's where the suffering and the struggle comes. Firstly, the pain comes and the suffering comes because at some point, some things as that are part of your identity worked great for you. They really were the best thing. They You created pathways and ways to make your way through life using those characteristics and that identity. Mm -hmm. And then comes a time when those same things actually stop you from becoming who you are meant to be next, what's coming up for you next. So it's when we are unable to let go of what was our old identity and we stay attached to it that we create suffering because the change is inevitable. It's how that change happens and how much you struggle with it that... Um, allows you to come on the other side. And having said that, like we said, suffering is growth. Sometimes we, most of us do need some of the pain and suffering to find our way through to the other side. How much we suffer is also to some degree up to us because we can stay in that suffering and stay attached to our old identity. Or once it starts revealing itself, we can start embracing it little by little and step into it more and more. And that's- And it's also not an absolute, right? You see, I yeah. mean, it's not an absolute thing. It's not before I had this identity and now I have a brand new yeah. identity. More like 
you know, I'm less of this and more of this now. And it may not even be a duality like that. It might just be, I want to experiment with this different color in my life or, or this add more activity. shades, add more shades, right? It's not, right. it's not a black or white. Right. My tendency is to be very black or white. So I'm learning to how to be with the grays and the different shades. But yeah, it's not really. It's not mm -hmm. this or that. What I like to think about or remind people about is the idea of the Essene, is it Essene or Essene mirrors? I remember those, like what you see in other people. Sometimes, you know, you, so for example, let's say I've got a woman who's unhappily married and she meets some guy and she's like, oh my God, this is a guy. I don't know why I'm with my husband. I need this guy. And so the idea of that concept is that everybody is a mirror of some part of yourself. And so it's not necessarily the guy that you want. It's just the part of you that he reflects that you want to bring back into mm -hmm. your life. And so I wonder for you, if it's like, who was I with them? what were those things that I miss and that I want to bring back into my life and like reclaim for myself? Because all, I don't think necessarily that we leave any parts of us behind at any stage. We just mm -hmm. forget about parts of ourselves and, and you know, stop expressing them. Actually, one of the things I've learned in my journey is that when we deny parts of ourselves we are rejecting some parts of ourselves that actually becomes a wounding so it's that much more important to accept all parts of you as you move forward and embrace the new parts of you but there was something when Beth was saying that really made me laugh and I wanted to share it so when men going to a very stereotypical example of older men going for younger women when they're going through the midlife crisis well, maybe they're just reflect, looking for that reflection of fun and who they were <laughs> when they were younger, right? That's what they're really looking mm -hmm. for there. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, not it's the very cliche, right? It's just you yourself. Yes, it's very cliche. Very my cliche. age, and therefore I want to go back and reclaim that. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I think for sure there's some of that, though. What is the evolutionary psychology tells us that it's not there probably is that, but they say that it's because they're looking at their wife who's now not able to have children and they're looking for the most fertile person who can have children. So that ends up being young women. And that's why they go there. It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta put my seed out into more fertile women so that I can pass down my legacy in more children so that I'm significant because I have continued. Yeah, to but even in that, isn't there an element of wanting to recapture the youth? Hmm. Virility. Probably some of both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in yeah. That and, and that social biological explanation is, is, you know, real popular right now, but there's lots of them. There's, there's <laughs> lots of things. I think that's my theme today. There is no either, or there's, you know, <laughs> There's stacked meanings and, and integrated truth in all of it. Absolutely. We won't watch for it. It really just depends on what glasses we put on <laughs> as to how we see things, through what cultural lens we see. Laura, you seem a little down. I seem down? Mm -hmm. I don't feel down right now. Oh, that's good. I, I mean, the, 
sorry, that just doesn't resonate. Yeah. Maybe I'm tired from my hike this morning. Maybe. And I saw you had a bunch of chaos getting back home from your hike too. Yes, the path was blocked. What a metaphor, right? <laughs> so you had blocked. to take a new path. You I had to take a new way. path. It was a cool path too. It was it was through some hills around here that I had not seen yet. See, and you wouldn't so, have taken it if the old path wasn't. It was awesome. It was awesome. That's the story of my life. Take a new path. <laughs> Very cool. I love that metaphor too. I was just looking at something the other day and I said, oh, this road over to Cherokee is closed or something. And it made me think about how you, those mountain roads, you can get cut off from other places pretty quickly, depending on the weather yeah, so or, true. or the electric guys or whatever. <sighs> and yeah, the place you live in is so beautiful, Laura. I so badly want to come and see. Please come. Please come see me. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And I love the simplicity, the, the, how simply I'm living right now. It seems that the land calls that out in me. Okay. And that's awesome. What do you mean? Less materialism, that? less things, more connected to the earth. I'm even eating differently and I'm not having to, you know, force dieting just because I'm in nature all the time. It's just a, this shift that's occurred. It's really nice. Oh, wow. That's really mm -hmm. neat. Are you that's cooking? Totally. Oh, cooking tons. Cooking tons. Oh, because I live in a place that that is in between two towns, Cherokee and Bryson City. And, and so it's an effort to go to the grocery store. Either way is, you know, five, ten miles. <laughs> yeah. So you really have to do meal planning and preparation and you just go, ah. Junk food, who needs it, you know? You can just do something here with the veggies that I have. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm thinking about your reflection, Beth. Uh, you know, about, I seem, I seem down, but I think it's actually this place of rest. You know, kind of contentment of, yeah, that's what it feels like to me. Okay, wonderful. Me. I feel like I see your life almost transitioning in front of my eyes. It's like an amazing thing to see. <laughs> Thank you, friends. Thank you. Very cool. Well, I get to finish my MBA. <laughs> I started on it. Oh, and right. I have just capstone oh. left. And I have not very much time. I realized today I went into the simulation and I have to basically run a company from the start. Oh, two things about this. So the first thing I noticed was that they said, you were going to run this company. You have $1.5 million in seed money to get it started. And I was like, oh, that's my problem with my business. I didn't have $1.5 million to start my <laughs> company. Right. They're like, right. in, quarter, in quarter two, you're going to have 500000 in quarter three. And it made me feel just much better about my slow progress. I'm like, man, if I go tell people I run a company with $0, sometimes negative. <laughs> dollars <laughs> makes me feel much better about my progress but that was funny they're like yes you have all this money to go do this oh okay but then today they're like you get to come up they tell you what you're going to make and I had to come up with the company name and a logo and I was like oh no <laughs> not not one of my favorite things to do so I spent a couple hours I actually got through it and I'm like just pick one just pick one just do the thing and 
and that went pretty fast, but it's pretty exciting. I get to go through the whole thing. And then, so I get to make choices in it. And then depending on my choices, it either fails or does well. And it has to kind of do well for me to pass, but I don't know. It's sort of fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll go spend somebody else's $1.5 million. Capital. <laughs> See what I, I should be great at this since I can do it with nothing, but yeah. Angel uh, investor. <laughs> and then as part of the, like my task too, is I have to give a presentation to venture capitalists and ask for money. I was like, oh, this is a good, good thing for me to practice. I should learn how to do that in case you I talked to my husband about it. He's been raising money for his company for the last, it's like a constant cycle. Really? So he's <laughs> so a really not if you start with 1.5 million, just <laughs> it depends on how much you're spending. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should get his advice how on, you're spending on mm. my pitch. Yeah, mm. it's kind of interesting. So I'm going to go back to that after my last client of the day. And I guess we'll talk in a couple of weeks. Anything else, anybody? No, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that I'll be out most of June. Yeah, from 8th onwards, I'll be out most of June. And we're going, we're going to Spain and England with the kids. Awesome. I'm excited. I have to take care of all the details, but I'm excited. We booked the tickets finally after going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and Wow. We decided, okay, we're just going to go ahead and do it. That's awesome. I'm excited about it. That does sound yeah, exciting. And, and why France and Spain? What we're going to Spain and England. Okay, so I'm Spain, sorry, Spain and because, England? Spain because actually some of our friends are going there. So they have the kids the same age. So we figured we'll spend a few days with them and then do our own thing after that. So that's how we decided on Spain. My daughter was very keen on Greece because I mean, I also want to go to Greece really badly because like she says, Mamma Mia is her favorite movie and (laughs) she grew up on Percy Jackson, which is all about Greece and the Greek gods and all that stuff. It's all fiction around that. So she wanted to go there, but we decided to do that. Plus we have family in England. So England, we are just there for three days mostly to spend time with family we were in spain for a mm-hmm. week so we've cool. gone for about just over 10 days so that's what we're doing and and then i'm putting it on the vision board to go to greece next year before my daughter goes to college that sounds fun yeah lovely well we'll miss you in june but that'd be fun to live through you for <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, I got to go and get ready for my client. Thank you all. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye, girls. Have a great two weeks. Stay in touch. You too. All right. Bye.